This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 631 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Wesley dreams, Hughes schemes, Superman gets unlost, Fables and Black Hammer race to the finish, Franny goes on a walkabout, and Dickie breaks bad. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, January 21st, 2024. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614 614- 321-9-SFP. Here's two titles from DC's New Golden Age. Wesley Dodds' The Sandman, number four by Venditti, Rosmo, and Placencia, and Jay Garrick The Flash, number four by Adams, Orletegui, and Guerrero. We were expecting Wesley's issue to cover the dream induced by his own gas, but it's over very quickly with references to all the offenses, minor and major, in his life. He realizes why his opponents are so willing to confess their sins. We also see events from the past, present, and future, those with the JSA. He awakens in his bed with Diane tending to him. His butler found him and brought him home. He was out of it for two days, so he's eager to get back on the case. He realized that the colonel had the inside knowledge about the arsonist's military career and is also the one who turned down Wesley's peace gas. But who set up that meeting with the colonel? Vanderlyle, his father's trusted friend, and the man who gave Wesley a place to live. Wesley rushes to find Vanderlyle being choked out by the fog. There's a fight. Wesley is lightly stabbed and gets a chance to ask the Fog what he did with the journal. He doesn't get an answer before Fog is pushed out of the window where he is killed, smashing into a parked car. Wesley now has no trail to follow, so he has no choice. I believe the word is treason. Next issue, Sandman versus the U.S. Army. Jay's issue is a bit more substantial. Jay and Judy run to Star Labs where Dr. Hughes last worked. The head of Star Labs is expecting him, and has been for years. He has Hughes' journal. So before I go on with this one, I want to know why, if he's had it for years, he didn't give it to them before. Fine question. So, in 1938, Keystone, Hughes sees a crowd at a store. They're seeing television for the first time, specifically Green Lantern Alan Scott swiping the action number one cover. There's a theory that Alan will now replace Superman as the first hero. Note that this is 1938. Hughes realizes that everything has changed. He dives into experiments on bettering humanity, a.k.a. creating a superhero. He realizes he needs a human test subject and sets up young Jay Garrick, a college football player. Jay is left in the lab where Hughes activates his experiment. Hard water is doused all over him. While Jay is recuperating, a doctor sees tests that he now has super speed. Hughes shoots the doc for finding out the truth. 
Hughes becomes jealous of Jay as the latter becomes a Golden Age hero, while Hughes can't seem to replicate it for himself. He accepts a foreign party's money to work for them and, with unlimited funding, gives himself elemental powers, beasts with human speech, fantastic devices, but it's not enough. Hughes tricks the JSA to his lair so he can do tests on him, but future Judy screws it up. He sees an article about Judy being born and then in 1962 sets up Judy and Jay at his new lair. Hughes repeats the experiments on Judy and it works, so there must be some sort of metagene they share. So he kidnaps Joan Garrick to see if the metagene can be replicated in a non-powered person. 1963, we're back to when Judy saves Joan and meets Hughes, a.k.a. Dr. Elemental. Judy disappears. No one remembers her or Hughes. Hughes decides he needs to access to more persons with a metagene, so he founds Star Labs. Wow! The head of Star Labs knows where Hughes is, but doesn't get a chance to tell them. His secretary comes in with a gun for a hand and blasts him. Mr. Slade? A Professor Hughes called. He says, you're fired. This is a significant rewrite of DC history. The only question is whether any of this will last now that Jeff Johns has left DC. Superman Lost, number 10 of 10, by Priest, Pagulayan, Louise, Paz, Prado, Ferreira, and Cox. Time to wrap it up. Lois has her meeting with the senator. He lied to protect his wife after he cheated on her which lost him his seat, which lost his party the majority, killing the omnibus bill. He asks her to leave the cheating out of the story, and she agrees, but someone else will find it. He will just have to hope that doesn't happen. Speaking of hope, we're back in year 22 on Victor's Planet. It's a wasteland with hope being the sole inhabitant after a red giant goes supernova. In her grief, she finds a brush with some DNA on it. Cut to a pregnant Hope outside the Kent's window. Safe to say, Lois isn't pleased. She used the telemetry from Clark's ship to find Earth. They can go back in time and space to save her world. Unfortunately, there's a report of a battle between warring parties on Earth, and off goes Clark. The battle is an after-effect of that omnibus bill not going through, which dropped foreign aid. Gee, this sounds very familiar. Normally, He would stay out of things like this, but he's tired of the whole thing. Bruce tries to talk him down. He's with Lois and Hope, but gets nowhere. Clark drops a ruined tank at the National Assembly, saying that he can't stop all wars, but is doing so today. Lex, on a balcony, applauds. Welcome back. We missed you. She beat you. Lois beat you. How's that for a waste of time? He gives Lex a warning and returns to Metropolis only to find the JLA plus Hope and Adam Strange. They're ready to save Victor's planet, sans soups who would be of little value in a red sun environment. Lois, Hope's baby, it's yours. Tell me she's lying. She orders Clark to join your super friends. He can be an inspiration to them even without her powers. Now, Lois is writing her story and Clark enters the room eating some toast. Didn't mean to wake you. She runs into his arms, but he's surprised. He knows nothing of the white suit, Victor, or Hope. Clark got a ride back to Earth with those aliens. They never dropped him off on the alien world, at least not this Superman. The elder Superman, the one Clark met in hyperspace, is the one that went with the JLA to save Victor's planet. This Superman, the other one, was only gone for two days. 
He also provided the telemetry to Hope to complete the time loop. Whew. We also learn that Clark is not the father. It's DNA from the alien Jimmy. This act ends the wars on Victor's planet somehow. So the whole story got retconned in the final issue? Meh. Well, you know, it's about what you expect. I. But we knew it was basically outside of continuity, so why do that? Because now you have another Superman out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Fables number 161 from DC Black Label by Willingham, Buckingham, Lealoa, and Longbridge. In this penultimate issue, thanks to delays and bad blood between DC and Willingham, there's a lot of story and action crabbed in. This is not Fables' forte. Peter has been eaten by Bigby, but managed to carve his way back out, leaving Bigby to heal. Unfortunately, Peter finds himself fighting the druid god whose son was killed by Peter way back in episode 619 in July. Tink has been called, and she and the god tussle with Tink winning. Meanwhile, Green Jack finds the ruins of her predecessor's home with Iago the Goose mourning his master. Green Jack decides to try out her Thanatos arrow against the killer, Peter and Tink, of course. Meanwhile, Cindy meets with Old King Cole to get advice on her next steps post-government. Most of politics is a long game, and who can play the long game better than immortals among a mob of short-lived Mondays? Meanwhile, Snow and the cubs are trapped in amber until the cubs shapeshift into flies, then release the others they prepare to join the fight. Tink takes her time, per Peter's order, to kill the druid god, despite his pleas to get it over with. This gives Green Jack enough time to reach the battle. Expect a 20-pound story in a 5-pound bag in the final issue, since Willingham was clearly planning out a several-year arc. Black Hammer the End, number 5 from Dark Horse, by Lemire, Warden Picos. Another penultimate issue, but this time allowed to actually complete its natural run. We begin with the non-powered R. Walden Laurie, a.k.a. the Randall Weird who wrote the Black Hammer comic. His life seems meaningless until he has a dream where he sees the multiverse and all its stories. Also sleeping? Anti-God, who sees Laurie's world to conquer. So he sends out his essence to form an army, including the evil Black Hammer. The Parliament of Weird knows all this, and that time is wasting. Anti-God has been frozen in battle, but that won't last. Back to Larry, who has Rose, Insector Detector, and the Evil Hammer in his apartment. Evil Hammer, a version of Rose's grandfather, entices her to join him. Lucy and her family race to the city to find Rose. She is convinced all of this is her fault, but her husband is convinced that if they stick together, all will turn out fine. The multiversal heroes watch Anti-God and wait for backup. That takes the form of villains of this world released to fight in the crisis with a two-page spread. And it's done. You have your army, Sherlock. God help us all. Skulldigger takes a version of Golden Gale to his armory, planning to make her skeleton girl a sidekick. Unfortunately, Anti-God has broken free. Back to the hammers. Grandpa holds out the hammer to Rose just as Lucy arrives. Rose kicks Grandpa in the nuts and throws the hammer to her mom. Lucy's husband uses his power. He was lightning rod, but it's sort of pitiful. However, it gives son Joe the time to slam a cuckoo into Gramps and Lucy to suit up. Now then, let's try this again. Next time, the big wrap-up of Lemire's universe. And speaking of Lemire... Fishflies, book four from Image by Lemire. 
Franny and Lee, a.k.a. The Bug, are on the run, at one point finding a fort some kids built, and she has visions of building it up into their home, but then realizes it's silly. Meanwhile, Franny's dad is taken out on a stretcher, and Detective Danny is worried about Franny. He also can't figure out who did all the damage. They find where the bug was sleeping, along with some sloughed-off skin. We gotta find that little girl! An old man watches all this from his truck with binoculars. Paul, the original victim, is watched by his mom at the hospital. He's in an induced coma. She's told to go home, as the doctors will talk to her tomorrow about options. The mom says she's staying right there. An apparition of a woman made out of bugs tells the mom to follow them, which she does. Franny shoplifts some food from a grocery store while the bug watches. She sees Lee's wanted poster. Danny is called on the carpet by his boss. Danny's going to be the fall guy for all of this and is being sent to another town. And the alternative, hand in his badge. Danny gets word that Franny was seen at the grocery store and he runs off. The bug sees Lee's reflection in the water along with the wanted poster Franny grabbed and skitters away. Franny follows him. Paul's mom has followed the bugs into the forest, finding an old tractor, mysterious symbols on the ground, and shackles. Franny catches up to the bug, explaining that she considers herself ugly. She prayed that would change, which might give her a happy family. She feels they can be ugly together. Danny finds the mysterious symbols in the forest. The old man from earlier finds Franny and the bug. Your friend's sick, ain't he? (laughs) Yeah. Danny finds bugs leading to the water. Did Paul's mom drown herself? The old man, Franny, and the bug go off in his truck. Miracle Man, the Silver Age number 7 from Marvel by Gaiman and Buckingham. Miracle Man continues his search for Dickie, who seems able to evade his monitors. Miracle Woman wants to make plans for when Dickie is found. They don't get a chance, as Dickie appears on all screens everywhere. Miracle Man, we need to talk. I've been having a fabulous look around your world, and I have some ideas, and I'm sure you have some ideas. They meet in 30 seconds in Jordan, neutral territory. MetaMade is also there, capturing everything on camera. Hi, big fan. Please don't kill me either. Dickie wants the world to see what happens. You have limited options. You will already have formulated them. Tell the people what they are. Option one. Accept my world. Accept me. Join us. Option two, follow Caxton's example. Dickie gives up his powers and joins the human race. Option three, you choose to die. Option four, Miracle Man has retro-engineered Garganza's machine. He can be dropped back into the dream world and live out a fantasy life. Is that the best you've got? What fun is perfection? You need someone to bounce against. You need someone to hold you to account. And that someone is me. Dickie will become Miracle Man's adversary. Not now, but someday. Cut to Australia. Metamaid is at a bookstore, leaving leaflets there. She has apparently given up her powers, or at least has gone civilian. The leaflets are telling people that Dickie is sitting under a tree, meditating. Metamaid sits beside him. Miracle Man and Miracle Woman watch Australia, with Miracle Woman asking if Miracle Man is going to do something about this. Why not just give him Australia? What can he do sitting under a tree? Over a period of days, a huge throng joins Dickie. Meanwhile, there's something inside him. You can't avoid me forever, Dickie. I'm here. 
I'm in your head. I'm here in the darkness. I'm waiting. Let me out. To be continued in the dark age. When will that happen? Well, considering that it took a generation to get to this point, I'm not old in my breath. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.